I met a girl on YouTube, flew her to my city, and paid her $400 to make a video for me. True story, but it's not what you're thinking. Let me tell you the story of how I got into the influencer marketing business. You guys are going to love it. That's coming up in one second. Before we get to it, make sure if you're listening on Apple and Spotify, leave a rating or review. And one more thing, I'm going to start putting a lot of content on YouTube very soon. These podcasts, I know I'm talking into a mic, I'm talking into your AirPods, but I'm also doing a video right now. I've been doing that since the very beginning. 78 or 79 episodes so far. So make sure to go to YouTube, go to John David's. You can get a link on my website and subscribe because I'm going to start dropping videos very, very soon. All right, let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John David's. So I'm going to tell you about this girl I met on YouTube and how she really changed my life. And no, I didn't meet my wife on YouTube. Somebody else, somebody awesome. I'm going to tell you the story. Let's go back to 2011. So at the time, I'm just figuring out the world of YouTube and YouTube influencers. And I stumble across a 20-something-year-old lady making beauty vlogs. So back in the day, this was actually very common. Sometimes they were like shopping hauls, beauty vlogs, outfit of the days, or OOTDs. And it was basically literally exactly what it sounds like. And I'm sure it happens all the time today also, but this was like super common back then. Somebody sitting in front of a camera, usually in their bedroom with their bed in the background, and they would just empty their bag out or they would do their makeup or whatever. So this girl's name was Teresa, and she had a YouTube channel called Juicy Tuesday. And at the time, I noticed she's making a lot of content every day, and she's got a lot of viewers, easily 30,000 views per video. And I'm confused. I'm thinking, who the hell is this girl? How is she racking up all these eyeballs? So I send her a DM. I'm going to shoot my shot. I send her a DM on YouTube and I say, hey, my name is John. I work in the media business. I promise I'm not crazy. I'm not an asshole. I'm just wondering, how are you getting all these views on every single video? And she tells me that she just makes them for fun and people watch. That's it. She has no idea what's happening other than she's been doing this probably for about a year at this point and she's just having a good time. So I respond, I say, so you're telling me this is just for fun? You're not getting sponsored? No brands are paying you anything at all? Nope, nope, she's not. And to me, this is wild. She is making videos in her bedroom, reaching 150,000 people a week, maybe more, promoting huge makeup brands, fashion brands, and she's getting paid nothing. This is bending my brain. You guys have to remember, I came from the media business. When I was in college a few years prior, I had built a media company and sold that media company. And the only way we made money was by having brands advertise. And I don't think I had 150,000 viewers a week like she did. So this was crazy. And I smelled a business opportunity. All right, so I tell Teresa that I know a lot of marketers. I actually just sold my digital advertising business. And I think you could be getting paid a lot for these videos, like a lot. Plus, you'd reach a lot more people. You'd be able to make this your full-time job, invest in it, travel, make all kinds of great content. And then I go in for my ask. 
I say, I want to fly you to my city, put you up in a hotel and have you make a video for a brand. I'll find a brand. I'll find someone who will do this and we'll do it. You game? And she says, sure, let's do it. I think she gave me her number. I called her the next day. We worked it out. I think to myself, that was easy. And now I got to hustle. I got to figure this out. So I called the head of marketing at a cosmetics chain. And uh, I think I knew her from before, but I didn't know her very well. But I tell her the story. I tell her what just happened. Sort of, you know, I doctor the story. I make it a good one. And I have to explain to her what a YouTuber is because she doesn't even know. And I say, hey, can we shoot a video at your store and we'll use your products? I just need proof of concept. I need this to be something that I could do for a brand. So I want to make sure that I can translate this woman doing it in her bedroom to doing it at an actual beauty chain. I needed proof of concept. So this marketing exec, again, doesn't know what a YouTuber is, has no idea what I'm talking about. She thinks I'm nuts, but she says, yes. She, I, I say, listen, the worst that'll happen is we'll make a video, it won't get any views, and you guys can just have it. Best case scenario, this thing will go gangbuster. You get a bunch of free traffic, and that's pretty cool. And we're going to film it anyways before you open the store. We were going to film at like 6.30 in the morning. I think the mall where the store was opened at like 10. So we weren't going to be disruptive to commerce at all. This is great. We're not interrupting your business one bit. So again, she said yes. I booked Teresa her plane ticket. I get her up in a hotel. I didn't have a ton of money, but I, I wanted to spend a little bit of money and make sure she felt comfortable. I think I actually went and picked her up at the airport. It was a lot of fun. So two weeks later, Teresa is in town. She's at the store filming random beauty stuff. We actually planned a few things out. I had another local celebrity, like when I say local celebrity, I mean like the weatherman's daughter, I think I had come in to do like a little makeup tutorial so that Teresa had a model to do the makeup on. I think we might've had an executive from this beauty brand show up in the store to do like a Q&A. So we had a couple little things planned, but basically the idea was we're gonna set Teresa free in the store. She's gonna pick up products. She's gonna do something cool with the cosmetics and that's gonna be the video. And we'll chop up whatever we can and make it a video. All right, so we make the video. The next day, Teresa posts it to YouTube and gets 50,000 views in 24 hours. I mean, guys, this was huge. I went back to the brand. I think the brand manager's name was Stacy. I went back to Stacy and said, Stacy, check this out. Remember that video we filmed yesterday? Well, it got 50,000 views on YouTube. I mean, she couldn't believe it. Like, what, what are you talking about? Free? Like, oh, did this thing go viral? I said, well, it didn't go viral. It just reached Teresa's audience. This is her audience, right? It's a built-in audience. It's not like the, the stuff's going viral. It's just reaching the people that it always reaches. So this was like a total game changer for that brand. And it was a game changer for me because now I had proof of concept. I had a case study that I could take to other brands and say, hey, here's what we do. And hey, we didn't get paid the first time. I didn't tell them that, but we didn't get paid the first time, but we're going to get paid now. You better believe it. And now comes the fun part. So Teresa and I partnered for the next two years, might've been two and a half years. We went at it hard. I was brokering deals. She was making the videos. We split the money. We had apparel companies. We had cosmetic brands. We had an airline. We had a tampon brand. We worked with all of them. One time, we flew to a remote little town and we paid a couple guys to dress up like chickens. And I think we had them 
busk for money, like play guitar or balk like chickens. And it was all part of this candid camera thing for a big brand push. Anyways, long story. It was awesome. And eventually, so after like two, three years, it was a lot of fun, but I saw a much bigger opportunity to build Influicity working with lots of influencers, working with lots of brands, providing lots of value. And that's what I did. And it was a very smart move. And Influicity is still around and a phenomenal company working with tons of brands. Influencer marketing, we do a lot more today, but influencer marketing is definitely at our core. And that's really how I got into that business. But I will never forget those early days. That was a blast. Quick break while I tell you about DemandScope. This is my new agency where we help you blow up your social media so you can blow up your income. DemandScope works with entrepreneurs and business owners to develop their personal brands across LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and beyond, using the power of personal brand building to drive your business forward in a big way. It's time to turn your social media feed into a customer acquisition engine. Learn more at demandscope.co. That's demandscope.co. So let me go into a little more detail. Everything that I've told you, well, I guess I gave you a little extra there, but most of what I told you, I put on LinkedIn and Twitter. I probably put it in my newsletter. If I haven't, I'll do it at some point. Also, my Saturday newsletter. If you haven't signed up, make sure you drop your email at johndavids.com to get that. But I want to go deeper on a couple things here. So first off, what kind of deals did we do and how did I do those deals? So the deals back in the day were, so I think, I'm not going to mention the brand names because they're still, a lot of them are still my clients, but you know, we had a big apparel, like a discount apparel chain. They sell clothing, cheaper clothing, good clothing for lower prices, big chain. They were our client. We had one of the big, big cosmetics, like one of the big five cosmetic global cosmetic brands as a client. Uh, We had a tampon brand as a client. And these deals back in the day, I think we did like the deal, the first deal that I did with an apparel chain, I think they paid us $30,000 or $27,000. And by the way, that was a lot of money. I mean, I had done big deals before, but the fact that I didn't have to do anything, I mean, it was just Teresa going to sit there with the product and like make one or two or three videos And we split the money, mostly 50-50. Sometimes I would take a little more. She would take a little more depending on costs that went into it. But you know, it was really good money and I was just brokering deals. So that was really cool. So I think the deals were like 27, 28,000. Then I think we did a deal for 50,000. The biggest deal I ever did with Teresa, there were a couple other influencers involved at this point as well, but we did a $100,000 deal with a footwear brand. And that was really cool. So... The money was good, the learning was good, and it was we were creating more and more case studies. So every time we did something, it gave us a better case to do something bigger for the next brand. So the deals were sequential. It was like, first we do a deal for 20,000, then 30, then 50, then 70, then 100, because the more we did, the more we were able to do. And that's really how every business works. That's how every business should work. You know, it's like, they say like, you want to create demand, then you want to monetize that demand, and then you want to grow that demand, you know? So, but you've got to create the demand first. That's why I had no problem doing that first piece of content for free. I think I paid Teresa. So I paid to have Teresa fly into my city. I paid to have her, you know, put up an hotel. I you know, paid for her food. I think I gave her a few hundred bucks as well. Just, you know, whatever, just for her time. But 
I didn't get paid anything on that first deal because I needed proof of concept. So that first brand, you know, could I have charged them? Could I have gotten a few bucks from them? Yeah, maybe, but I wanted this done quick. So I didn't make any money that first time. It was an R&D project and man, did it pay off because I made a lot of money over the next few years. The industry was also a lot different back then. You know, in terms of analytics, there were no analytics. I mean, there were some analytics. YouTube had some stuff and there were dashboards, but it was all just very murky. You'd have two different analytics dashboards and they would give you two totally different sets of numbers. And it's like, which one is true? Well, the one that's more favorable to us, I guess. So you'd have things like that. You'd also have questions that clients would ask and there was just no possible way in hell that we could answer them. So we'd kind of mishmash and hodgepodge some stuff together to come up with a, a directional view of what probably is the case. And frankly, that happens today also in different mediums. You know, you, you don't have all the answers all the time, so you've got to have directional views. But back then they were, let me just say, very directional, like directional to the point of, I hope I'm going in the right direction here. But it was still great. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason brands kept doing it is because whatever the data said, they saw their sales go up. You know, we worked with a client early on. I think it was actually Stella and Dot, which was a, it's like a, I don't know, Stella and Dot is a jewelry company, but it's kind of like Avon for jewelry. And so essentially what happened there was they didn't pay us or they paid us some small amount of money, but they agreed to pay us on how many leads or how many clicks we sent to their site. And they were blown away because we completely went over the ceiling of what they thought. Teresa put on a few different pieces of jewelry and said, oh, hey, by the way, guys, you can go to the links in my description and click here and you can buy them. And this is like way back in the day. We're talking about 2011, 2012. This was like not common at the time. And I think we sent like 17,000 clicks over to the Stella and Dot website. You know, so they were like, what the hell is going on? So because we were able to produce results like that, brands didn't really care at the end of the day. They'd ask us a hundred questions. We'd give them a hundred answers. Probably 50% were true. 30% were kind of, you know, directionally true. 20% were totally made up. And then the results were fantastic. So it's like, you know, they eventually stopped asking questions. And that's what the industry was like. It was the Wild West. And it was a lot of fun. And then, of course, things have been cleaned up over time. And these days at Influencer, you know, we run influencer campaigns for big brands, lots of influencers, B2C brands, B2B brands. And there's a lot more, A, there's a lot more platforms. So you're not just doing it on YouTube, but you're doing it on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and TikTok. So you have that aspect, but then you also have different types of influencers, different types of creative. So the industry has just come such a long way and thinking back 10, 11, 12 years where I was back then and where we are today, it's like a whole different world. Something else somebody asked me online was, what were the changes? So why didn't I keep doing that or do it with more influencers? What were the changes that I made when I launched Influicity? Good question. So here are the limitations of that business. When you are representing one influencer, one talent, that's like the baseline. So essentially all your eggs are in one basket. You represent one person, you represent their interests, you work with brands that you know they want to work with and brands who want to work with them. And you can grow like that by working with other people who are like them. So if you have one beauty influencer, you could have other beauty influencers, or you could work with people that are not competitive. Maybe they're in different groups. So you have a beauty influencer and you represent some food influencers and you represent some 
tech influencers. And that's fine, but you're really in the talent management business. And I never liked the talent management business. I liked Teresa, but I didn't I didn't always love the work. And I definitely didn't want to be working with a hundred Teresas. Like that's not what I wanted to do. I'm not saying it's a bad business, it's just not one for me. So the other thing is that when you're working with brands, there's an inherent conflict of interest. And this is what talent agencies face all the time. In fact, the founder of CAA famously said, no conflict, no interest, because he knew, Michael Ovitz knew that there was, of course, a conflict of interest. When you represent talent and you're trying to do deals with brands, you're, of course, going to tell the brand whatever you need to tell them to sell the talent through. So you can't say, well, no, I, I have the best interest at brands at heart. No, you don't. You have the best interests of your influencers at heart. So it put me in a position where, yes, I wanted to do the best work I could for L'Oreal, for Walmart, for American Express, but I couldn't do that if I'm representing the influencers. I needed the influencers to represent themselves or I needed the influencers to have their own representation that we could work with where we could represent the brand and the influencers could represent themselves. So I wanted to get out of the influencer representation business in order to scale on the brand side. The other thing, the other reason that I founded Influicity, and this totally flopped, by the way, I've done other podcasts on this, but the reason I wanted to found Influicity was because I wanted to build a tech company that was essentially going to be an online marketplace connecting the buyers and the sellers. The buyers being the brands, the sellers being the influencers. And I wanted to build the Airbnb of influencer marketing. And for all kinds of reasons, that was a terrible, horrible, very, very bad idea. And I flopped and I burned lots of money and it was a huge pain in the ass. But out of that, uh, came Influicity in its modern form. And uh, it's, it's a phenomenal business and I couldn't ask for anything more. So, I mean, ultimately, those are some of the reasons why I got out of the kind of single talent management representation business, which wasn't really even a business. It was me brokering deals for this gal and it was great. And then I got into Influicity and still continued to do deals with Teresa for years, just you know, doing them via Influicity. And I had a great team and still have a great team at Influicity. And that's why I went in that direction. So that is the story of my very first influencer marketing deal that led to a lot more deals, that led to a business that does influencer marketing deals. And of course, Influicity today builds communities for brands. I want to know what you guys think. Let me know. Get a hold of me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Make sure you follow me on YouTube. Hey guys, I'm a YouTube creator these days. You got to check me out on YouTube at John Davids. And of course, get on my email list at johndavids.com. I'll talk to you guys next time.